Well, welcome this morning. Um, some of you know that there are about 30 people in our church at, at a global missions conference uh, this morning uh, up in North Carolina called New Wineskins. And so if you're missing some of your best buddies this morning or if your kids are missing some of their best buddies because a bunch of kids went up there with us, um, that's what's going on. Um, and uh, because uh, I, I actually just flew back um, late last evening, and because we knew that um, I was going to be coming, John and I were going to be tied up all, all this week, we just thought that we'd give this congregation a little treat and invite one of our favorite guest preachers, which is Fumi Ojiteo. And so we're so grateful to have him here this morning. And interestingly, um, while we were gone, so uh, th- there was a sort of plan for preaching, and he, he really felt like the Lord moved on his heart to preach on this First Timothy 6 passage about money. And um, one of the interesting things about that is, number one, we're in the midst of a First Timothy series, and so you know, that'll give us one to skip later on. But, uh, but also, um, every, uh, every um, October we have Stewardship Month, where we really take some time uh, to talk about what it means to follow Jesus instead of following mammon, right? Um, what it means to have Jesus as our Lord uh, rather than having the love of money um, lead us around by the collar. So I'm grateful to have Fumi here with us today uh, bringing the word. And can I say a prayer for you? Yes. All right. Father in heaven, I thank you for this man of God. I thank you for the good work that he's doing um, through First Baptist with his family Lord, we thank you for the bonds of fellowship with us. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open to him as he brings your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Taylor. It is good to see you all again, Incarnation. I was glad when they said unto me, come, let us go to Incarnation. (laughs) Worship with the saints therein. It is always a joy to be in the presence of the Lord and always a joy to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. As, um, as Pastor Taylor told you, um, our passage this morning is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, so I'll ask that if you have a copy of God's Word, please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me rush to say thank you again to uh, Pastor Taylor, Pastor John, to the shepherds over this household of faith. Um, I have grown and I've learned so much from the both of them um, and being discipled by them. And the relationship that started over the summer, by God's grace, has continued and has blossomed and is flourishing. Um, And so there really is that connection, a a very dear connection I have with this church, and I just love you all so very much. And it is with that that um, the Lord has laid this on my heart. It is a hard topic. It might not be a shouting you know, kind of sermon, um, but, you know, I, I pray that the Lord uses it for the purpose for which he has brought it to us this morning. So First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10, and because I don't believe prayer is too much, I'm just going to say Please. A, a, a quick word of prayer as we start. Father, Lord God, I pray that you speak to us anew and afresh this morning. Lord God, give me... Um, Clarity of mind, give me concision of speech and conviction of heart to speak your truth, your whole truth, and nothing but the truth Mm -hmm. of God, that your people may be edified and built up for every good work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 
All right. So, once upon a time, there was a man who had worked all of his life and had saved all of his money. He was a real miser with money. Um, he loved money more than just about anything. And just before he died, he said to his wife, Now listen, when I die, I want you to take all my money and place it in the casket with me. I want you to take all that money because I, I want to take it with me in the afterlife. So <laughs> he got his wife to promise with all of her heart that when he died, she would put all the money in the casket with him. Well, one day, he died, right? <laughs> he was stretched out in the casket. The wife was sitting there in the black next to uh, her best friend. And um, when they finished the ceremony, just before the undertakers got ready to close the casket, the wife said, whoa, wait, wait a minute. I, I forgot something. I had the shoebox with me. And um, so she came over and placed in the casket the shoebox. And her friend said to her, I, I hope you weren't crazy enough to actually do what he asked you to do with the money. And she said, yes, of course. I promised him. I'm a good Christian. I can't lie. I promised him I was going to put that money in the casket with him. And the best friend said, so you mean to tell me that you put every cent of his money into a casket? And the wife said, I sure did. I got it all together, put it into my account, and I wrote him a check. <laughs> you see, no matter how many times people try, you cannot take life's luxuries into God's eternal presence. No pile of money, no assortment of jewelry, no collection of artwork can be transferred from earth to heaven. You simply cannot take it with you. And that seems to be the thematic thrust of these verses that lay in front of us today. Paul says something in our text that strikes us as simultaneously indicting, intriguing, and yet encouraging. It is this. Whereas money brings a lot of people pleasure, especially if they have a lot of it, if you put money in the forefront of your life, you will. In fact, you cannot and you will not experience the pleasure you think it will bring. Mm -hmm. In fact, you will experience pain in the place of pleasure. The desire for riches, friends, will put your heart away from God. That's the admonition of our text today. If, if you desire to be rich, don't, uh, don't self-identify here. Um, but I, I know you in here. There, there, some of us, all of us, part of us want some money. We want to get rich. If you desire to have a lot of money, the thing is that that will put your heart away from the heart of God. And this text is tailored to teach you and I that we need to live our lives in light of eternity. Let me run that back. In light of eternity, material gain is irrelevant and greed is irrational. Let me say that one more time. In light of eternity, material gain is irrelevant and greed is irrational. 
Mm. Now, let me rush to say this because I know some someone somewhere is saying, well, Fumi, are you saying that I should be poor? Okay, no, I'm not. Like, let's be clear about that. This passage does not endorse poverty, but this text does endorse simplicity. Mm-hmm. It says to us that even if you have a lot, you can still live a simple life. And that a simple life combined with godliness is great gain. Mm-hmm. So this morning, because money is important, I want to examine the question that arises from our text. What kind of importance should we ascribe to money? And for those of you who don't have it yet, you know, I remember when I was broke in law school, living off of student loans. I remember hearing messages about about money and tucking it away in my heart that one day I hope to have some and I'm going to need this. All right. So I understand. I understand what it's like if you ain't got it. This applies to you, too. Okay. (laughs) Because the day is coming when you will have it and you'll want to understand how to adjust your attitude around money. So the implication of this text is something um, I'm almost afraid to say because it goes against common uh, perception. And even though I believe it's true, I'm afraid to say it in part because I don't feel like arguing for it per se. But, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I guess I have to. The text seems to imply that money is not morally neutral. Mm. Mm. This is perhaps why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Because money inherently competes in the heart against God. Mm. Just by its very nature, money tries to take God's place in our hearts. And some of us can't get enough of it. And some of us, by having too much of it, have found ourselves, as the text says, wandering away from the faith. Mm. So, what kind of importance should you and I ascribe to money? First of all, this text suggests you and I should ascribe minimal Importance. Everybody say that with me. Minimal importance. Paul starts out in our text by saying godliness when combined with contentment is the perfect formula to help you have everything that you want and need in your life. Like two columns in an Excel spreadsheet, when you add up life's possessions in one column and you add up godliness in a second column, there is but one formula for gain. If you ended this life and all you've got to show for it is stuff and a love for stuff, then you've lived your life in the red Hmm. and you end up in a negative position. Conversely, When you end this life and you end it with a godly life measured with contentment, what you have is great gain. You actually end up with more than the folk who had a lot more than you did. Godliness, though, Paul argues here, is not per se a means to get great gain. The clear meaning of the text in the original language uh, uh, makes it clear. Paul is saying, in other words, That godliness itself is great gain combined with 
contentment. And so we have here the idea of contentment come up multiple times. It is the idea that we have from the Stoic philosophers, right? Who had in their mind an island, a vast place that doesn't need any external resources for its inhabitants. They don't need to import anything. They don't need to export anything. They got everything they need. It is the idea of self-sufficiency. But self-sufficiency, if not guarded against, can lead to indifference, right? Where, where you feel like you don't need anybody or anything. You're okay however it goes. Uh, you just find where you are and with who you are. Well, Paul argues in this text that that's not the idea of contentment. Con- contentment ought not drive you and I to indifference. And, and, and I'll be honest with y'all, I, I struggle with this. There's a part of me that hates to ask anybody for anything. I would rather work for it myself and do what I got to do. I don't want I don't want anybody looking at me as if I need them. Mm. Problem with that attitude, though, is it's antithetical to the faith because you and I actually do need each other. Mm. We are each members of. One body. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If one member is hurting, all hurt, right? If one member rejoices, all rejoice. I need you, you need me, we need each other. Mm-hmm. This is what it means to be the church. Mm-hmm. Well, friends, what Paul is talking about in our text is not the idea of self-sufficiency so much as it is the idea of stability. Okay, it, it, it doesn't matter how life rocks your island. The, the inside of the island is not shaken. The, this is what Paul is arguing in our text. You're going to have tribulation. You, you're going to have troubles. Don't you listen to some cheap peddler preacher who's going to tell you that if you trust the Lord, you know, nothing bad is going to happen to you. You're never going to have problems. You're going to have problems. That's right. The question is not if you're going to have problems. The question is, will you be able to stand when the problems come? Mm-hmm. And, and this is what Paul is arguing. Leaning upon Christ's sufficiency gives us contentment. Mm-hmm. It helps us to be stable. And I, and I want to suggest to you that this kind of contentment has to be learned. you, you got to work at it. It has to be practiced. Because some of us, for some of us, enough is never enough. Um, John D. Rockefeller, y'all know the Rockefellers, right? John D. Rockefeller uh, was approached, and and the the Rockefellers, they they got a lot of money, right? Their great-grandparents got a lot of money. The fathers got a lot of money. The the kids got a lot of money. Um, The former senior senator from West Virginia, right? U.S. Senator from West Virginia. It was John D. Rockefeller, too. I think like the third or the fourth. They, they just keep naming each other John D. Rockefeller. <laughs> um, they, they got a lot of money. And so they asked John Rockefeller, like, how much money is enough? And he replied, some more. <laughs> and that's the reality of it, right? It's always a search for more. And then you compare that with young John Wesley. So John Wesley, when he was living in London, made 30 pounds a year. And he lived off of 28 and gave two away. The next year, he made 60 pounds and he lived off of 
28 and gave 32 away. The third year, he made 90 pounds and he lived off of 28 and he gave 62 away. In the fourth year, the same pattern. He, he, he made 120 pounds. He lived off of 28 and he gave 92 away. Hey, you say to me, preacher, you know, that, that's real interesting. That got nothing to do with uh, the way I live now. You know, I need a cost of living adjustment every year. Uh, you know, I, I, the, the more money I, I make, I got to, money is, is meant to be spent, right? But the problem is you're living just as broke now as you were when you didn't have any money. Every week you got to get something new from Amazon Prime. I mean, so much so that the neighborhood klepto has already got your delivery schedule down pat. And he's walking by your house every Thursday to do some retail therapy via your front porch. So now, of course, you got to get the ring doorbell with the video monitor so you can make sure your deliveries are delivered and you catch this Prince of Thieves and the cycle continues as you keep getting more stuff. Brothers and sisters, godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me push forward here. Not only do we ascribe minimal importance to money, but this text encourages us to ascribe relative importance to money. Now, this is the part of the sermon I hope at least one of y'all will say amen. Money is important. Amen. That was your cue. <laughs> money is important, all right? I, I'm not up here saying that you don't need money to live. Don't, don't go up and say, you know, Fumi told us we don't need money to live. Ain't got to go to work tomorrow. God's going to supply all my needs, you know, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We ain't got to pay these bills, you know, uh, tile gov. You know, the Lord owns the electricity and, you know, he's going he's to keep the power on. That is not what I am saying. Please. Please, you better pay your bills. <laughs> you better go to work on time, and you better actually work while you're at work so you can keep your work, okay? <laughs> Here's the issue. Here's the issue Paul is presenting. You need money, but you need to keep it in check. When you, when, you, when you pull up your account online, if your happiness is measured by the amount of zeros at the end, then you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. And this is where Paul's going. Paul issues two warnings to talk about the relative importance of money. The, the first warning is about eternity. It is to say that the material life on earth needs to be lived in view of the eternal life that is to come. Here it is. For we brought nothing into the world, verse 7, and we can take nothing out of it. Paul is saying wealth is temporal, right? And, and this shows the foolishness you and I have when we're shopping for shoes that we do not need. Mm-hmm. And, and I say you and I because, you know, I'm guilty too. There, there is something, and you feel in your heart, you're walking through the store, you, you didn't intend to buy that watch, you, you didn't intend to go for that dress, but you saw it and you had to have it. You know, mm-hmm. and you said, but before me, it was on clearance. You, know? you, you, you don't you don't understand. It's 25 percent off and they're taking off another five percent at the register. <laughs> Man, I just got to have it. 
thing is though, many of us, we got stuff in our closet that we ain't even worn in months. Mm -hmm. Or even years. Shoes that barely have a wrinkle in them. Because you thought you liked them when you got it, but then when you put it on, you try to match with your outfit, it didn't work. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking <laughs> about here today. Come on, preacher. This text says that wealth is temporal. It, it, it doesn't last. There's stuff that you were in there was, that was fashionable 10, 15 years ago. You look at that stuff and you're like, I will not be caught dead in that. Now, and you don't need it anymore. The stuff that you and I clang and clamor for, it does not last. And yet, you and I need money. Here's the relative importance of money. Paul says, if you got food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But Paul uses a literary device here that basically means Basic necessities, okay? Now, basic necessities vary from place to place, from um, era to era, from culture to culture. You, you'd be hard-pressed today to say in today's culture that, that, that with food and clothing, we got everything we need, all right? These days, high-speed internet is a basic necessity. I mean, so is the cell phone. I mean, just, just two decades ago, this was not the case. In some communities like Houston, where there's no good public transport, a, a car is a basic necessity. I, in Florida, air conditioning is a basic necessity. When, when, when I can, actually, when I, when I moved to Florida, I'm originally from New York. When I moved to Florida, I discovered that sunglasses were a basic necessity. Like, it, it's not a fashion statement, because it's bright out there, y'all. Sunglasses, it's a basic necessity, right? And this is what Paul is saying. There are things which are basic necessities to your life. You've you got to figure these things out. The trick is, is this something you can't live without, right? Can, can you live a simple and contented life without it? And Paul is saying, don't become overly attached to things you feel you need, but are not really necessities. Now, lastly, this text describes one more kind of importance, but, but this is not an importance we need to ascribe to money. Rather, it is an importance we need to keep away from money, and that is supreme importance. Supreme importance with money will kill you. And, and I know you're, you're sitting here today, and you say, that, 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 that ain't me, Fumi. I don't got to listen to this part of the sermon. I haven't attached supreme importance to money. Well, let me ask this. Why do you work so much? Why you got to go in seven days a week? Why you got to take advantage of every opportunity for overtime, even when it encroaches upon you being involved in the life of the church? How come you ain't never got time to go to Bible study or to come to prayer meeting? Or, or to be involved in small group or, or to participate in ministry? You ain't never got time. For none of that, because you always working. Do you really need all that? Or, or does money mean that much to you? Do you find your sense of significance and security in the resources that you have? Paul warns us in this text, don't give supreme importance to money. No, notice here how he warns us. 
See how the subject changes from verse 7 and 8 to verse 9. Look at verse 7. So we brought nothing into the world, right? And we can take nothing out of it. And then verse 8. If we have food and clothing, we will be content. But then verse 9. But those who want to be rich, those who desire to be rich. Are are you tracking with me? Mm -hmm. But we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, but those who desire to get... Paul is drawing a line of demarcation here. Verse 9 is not meant to characterize the Christian. Mm -hmm. We have one attitude, but those who want to get rich have a different attitude. And don't let your life fall into, into the category of those. But those who want to get rich fall into diverse temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This, this word fall in the Greek literally means to trip while walking. I mean, you didn't even see the stumbling was coming. The next thing you know, you're falling into temptation. And a snare, the, the language of temptation means, yes, it's enticing, but a snare means it's a setup. Mm. On one hand, there's something in you that wants more. You, you can't ignore it. But on the other hand, when you go after more, you discover that somebody behind it trying to catch you up. The love of riches or the desires for riches is a snare. It is a setup. Mm. Leo Tolstoy had this, this wonderful little book called uh, How Much Land Does a Man Need? You should read it when you get a chance. Um, the protagonist of the story is a peasant named Pehom. Now, Pehom grew up poor, but later on in life, he was able to acquire a small piece of property. And he loved that land more than anything, more than food, more than clothes, more than his family. And, and he trusted land for his salvation. And he could not get enough. He wanted more, and he kept pursuing larger plots of land. Now, Tolstoy in this story wants us to answer the question, how much land does a man require? Pehom, our protagonist, reasoned to himself that if he got enough land, not even the devil can touch him. So one day, Pehom meets the Baskiers and, and, and is told that they are simple-minded people who own a huge amount of land. And, and, and the Baskiers make uh, Pehom an, an unusual offer. For a sum of 1,000 rubles, Pehom can walk around as large a circumference and large area as he wants starting at daybreak. And he would mark his route along the way with a spade. And if he returns to the starting point by the sunset of that day, all the land that is route enclosed would be his, right? That seems like an interesting deal. But if he doesn't reach a starting point by sunset, guess what? He loses all of his money and he forfeits all the rain. And Pehom is, is delighted, is, is happy, he believes this is the chance of a lifetime. I mean, this, this is the deal, this is the art of the deal. I mean, our president has not even come up with this kind of deal. It is the best, it is the best of deals that there could be. He does the best deals. And so Pehom is standing there, you know, he's ready. 
you know, he, he, can, 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 he, he's there on the day of, and can you see him? He's standing with his spade and sticks it into his ground. And, 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 and the ears are standing right there on the side. And the sun is just about to peek over the horizon. And Pehom is shaking his muscles, getting ready for this deal of a lifetime. And, and he's warming up for the marathon. He's about to get going. And here comes the sun. It rises up. And they say, go and pay home takes off and he's already measured in his mind that every couple of hours he's going to make a turn so that he can make it back to his starting point right and so pay home is going and pay home is running and pay home he's never seen land this green land this this lush this this fertile it's so attractive to pay home and so pay home decides to widen his circle right he reasoned that if he runs more and eats less he could actually end up with more land than he anticipated getting into. So can you see Payhome? Payhome is running. Payhome is panting. Payhome is marking his land. He goes along. He notices, though, that he's behind schedule. Okay? As the sun is starting to come down. He's been running for nearly nine hours now. He's on his way back in when he discovers that he's not going to make it to the end of the spade unless he speeds up. And if he doesn't make it to the end of the spade, what happens? He loses everything. So Pehom gets to running. He gets to sprint as hard as he can. Hard as being fast. Until Baskir see him coming over the horizon. The sun is about to set. The deal is about to be done. The Baskir is sharing. Come on, Pehom. Come on in. You can make it, Pehom. You can make it. And Pehom is running. He's running. Until Pehom catches a slide and makes it right into the spade just as the sun comes down. He's got all the land. His feet crossed over. They're celebrating. They're jumping up and down. They're having a good time. Like, yeah, the Basques are thrilled at this moment. They've never seen anything like this. They're, they, they, they're ecstatic. Pelham has done what no one has ever done before. Pelham's servant is right there also celebrating with him too. And, and, and Pelham ain't moving. <laughs> and the Basques say, well, what's wrong with him? And the servant doesn't know. And they leaned down and reached over and uh, check his vital signs. Payhome has none. So, payhome servant picks up the spade and he digs out six feet and drops payhome in it. And so Tolstoy answers the question, how much land does a man require? Here's what I'm trying to tell you, friends. It's a trap. It's a snare. You're running your whole life. You're trying to get more. And the only thing you're going to end up with is six feet. That's all you got. And you and I need to live like the desire to get rich is a snare because it is. It is. <laughs> Lastly, Paul says it's harmful to desire because it plunges men into ruin. This is a terribly painful metaphor. It's the idea of men and women who impale themselves on a pole. That people who actually have this love for money, this desire to get rich, ruin themselves. That's what pay home did. Mm-hmm. But you say, I'm not pay home. <clears throat> well, you might be verse 10. <laughs> for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by longing for it, people have wandered away from the faith. People have left Jesus over money. That's right. 
Now notice what the verse does not say. This verse does not say that money is the root of all evil. It's not. In fact, I hope some of y'all get rich. I really do. I've been praying for some of my friends. Please, Lord, bless his brother. Bless his family. Let his children be blessed. Let the grandchildren be blessed. And please, Lord, let them advance the kingdom as you're blessing them. I am mad at you for getting that paper. I really am not. But the desire in life, the goal in life is not to get rich. This text says that the love of money, not money, the love of money, people who love money find themselves being pulled away from God. Because according to the text, it is a root, not the root. It is a root of all sorts of evil. Now, there's some evils that you've enjoyed in life. You know it. You and I know it that have nothing to do with money. Right. Money is the root. Money is not the root of all evil, but evil comes in different colors, different sizes, different shapes. And money and the love of it is a root of different kinds. And, and, and some trusting in it have wandered away from the faith. I, I, and I leave you when I say this. This is a tragedy, friends. Mm-hmm. This is a tragedy. The, the desire to get rich, the desire to get rich fundamentally takes your love and my love away from where it belongs. Mm. It puts the love of money over the love of God. And that, if you don't hear anything else I've said here today, that has eternal consequences. You don't bounce back from that. Hear me. Hear me now. You better keep a love for God over the love for money. Because money will take you and strip you and cause you to risk everything. If you love money, money will disappoint you. Because ain't nobody gonna care what kind of shoes you're wearing when you get to heaven. <laughs> ain't nobody got time for your designer outfits in heaven. You, that, that, that you got your nails did and your hair laid, nobody cares. We're busy worshiping God. <laughs> All the stuff we make a big deal about right now has no bearing on eternity. So, brothers and sisters, I encourage you, hold fast to God, not to stuff. Hold fast to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. We know that it is a sharper than any two-edged sword. And we ask, O Lord, that will cut even deep to the marrow, that wherever in our lives, wherever in my life, wherever, O Lord, as a church, as a community, as a family, as individuals, we have exalted or placed money above you. Lord, have mercy on us. First, forgive us of our idolatry. And Lord God, that you will lead us to repentance and that we would bear fruits worthy and following after repentance. We want to love you more than we love stuff. In fact, we don't even want to love stuff. We just want to use it for what it needs to be used for. We want to love you. And Lord God, allow us and create a desire in us, work in us to put our treasure in you so that our heart may be there also. Amen.